In October of 2015, the administration at Yale University sent out an email to its students urging them to dress in culturally sensitive ways during the Halloween festivities. Cultural appropriation is, after all, the unpardonable sin. In response to Yale's general email to the whole student body, Erica Christakis, a lecturer in early childhood education, wrote an objecting email to a few hundred students in Silliman College, one of Yale's 12 residential colleges. In essence, she argued, along with her husband, the master of Silliman College, that we shouldn't be so sensitive to these things, and free speech is more pressing than the feelings of a single individual. This email resulted in an uproar from the student body, and it ultimately attracted national media attention. In a highly circulated video in which several dozen students surround Nicholas Christakis, the camera bounces from one female student to the next, many of whom are crying, all of whom are demanding his apology, and some of whom called him terrible names and wished ill of him. Their central cry was, Silliman College is supposed to be a safe space and the Christakis's apparent lack of empathy has made this impossible. After months of pressure from the student body to remove the Christakis's, they both resigned from their residential post. What has happened societally to give subjective and fleeting emotions such power as a complex one and the solutions are equally complex? One author has argued that the foundational pillars of every society are faith and family. And tragically, in the West, many young persons have grown up in broken homes, no family, or no religion at all. And this means that the foundations of a well-rounded and confident person are entirely absent in the development of many. But this is not the first problem. This stripping of society's foundations was not accidental. It was intentional. We live in a post-feminist society, Zachary Garris has argued, which he says means that most people in this day and age are feminists and they don't even use that terminology. The feminist ideal undergirds many of the presuppositions of even Christians, irrespective of its biblically antithetical nature. The results of this have been far-reaching and destructive, but a central feature of a feminist society is one in which public policy, human resources, college campuses, the government, and many other environments all behave and act as an overprotective mother. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the longhouse. Welcome once again to Who Let the Dogma Out, where doctrine has dominion over all of life. I'm Daniel Mayfield, one of your hosts, joined with uh, Jack Wilkie and Titus Mathis Anderson. Very good. Uh, did I get it right there? <laughs> you got it right. Yeah, thank you. Okay. It's like we know each other now. I know. I feel like we kind of do. <laughs> Welcome to the show, brothers. How's your week going? It's going. Going, going great. We're, we're in the throes of VBS week here. And so uh, nice. there's, there's a little bit of that residual VBS fatigue setting in, but but it's a great yeah. time. We're having fun. And so uh, just just thankful to be a part of that. And we'll be thankful when we can rest from it as well. You know, if it weren't for the way this would sound, we would just get rid of the V on the front of VBS. But of course, we wouldn't want to just have something called BS, that Bible school. Mm. But what I'm saying is the vacation <laughs> component just isn't there. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, well, uh, what are you guys drinking any coffee today? Uh, I'm knocking back some cold brew. I'm turning into a cold brew guy. That's pretty good stuff. Ooh. So nice. When summer rolls around, I like a good cold brew as well. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm finished now. So I, I've been drinking, trying to keep my coffee intake toward the first part of the day. But I'm drinking some um, coffee out of Kansas City, the Roastery. A little plug for them. A really good coffee, and uh, you can get uh, a couple bags for a good price. So nice. There well, we've lately my wife has taken to making a really simple cup of coffee, uh, sweetening it with a little bit of maple syrup. Uh, which gives it just that little bit of sweetness, but it still really tastes like coffee. Uh, oh, yeah. And it's really, really good. So shout out to my wife. She's pretty cool. She makes a good cup of coffee. There you go. Yeah. We need Who Let the Dogma Out branded coffee. See if we can get with Brad Harrow make that mm. happen. We should. Yeah. Definitely. Coffee Definitely. Would it be a dark or a light roast? What do you think? It's <sighs> a good question. I mean, it seems like it would need to be dark because we're coming on strong, but I don't 
dark roast. I don't know. We'll, we'll go. But with there's less caffeine in a dark roast. That's the problem, and so it's see. Yeah, I don't know. Medium roast, maybe. I was also thinking our our listeners on Think Deeper, we call the listeners the deep thinkers on here. Our listeners got to be the dogmatics, right? So Mm -hmm. our dogmatics coffee people, would they buy dogma coffee? I don't know. Let us know. Um, With that, you left us with an interesting word there at the end end of the intro. So we're going to make you tell us about it. The longhouse. Okay. What does that mean? What is? I I know what it means, but uh, I'm going to let you intro that or kind of carry us into uh, where you were going with the introduction there because it's a very useful concept it is this is one of those terms that kind of catches on in the uh you know in the online platform because you know one person starts using it and then everybody starts using it and it it kind of takes on a, a bunch of ideas that are associated with it historically a longhouse was kind of a communal building and these existed all over the world where people and societies built these houses that were very long and they had all the extended family and everybody, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, whatever, even the you know second cousin, people just split all the way down the line living in the same building. And it's this, this idea of kind of never breaking away from the home. The home all stays together. Well, the longhouse in the way that we're referring to it is the way that society has kind of become this, where the public space, broader society is all supposed to, or some think is supposed to just be a continuation of the home. And if you step out into the public sphere, it ought to have that same level of comfort. It ought to have the same rules. You ought to have the same kind of mothering. This morning, Titus, um, as we were getting ready for the show, he sent a text. Some It was just a screenshot from Twitter and uh, Titus's question was, is this uh, the longhouse? And it was a snapshot. Somebody said, I'm pretty sure everyone on, on Twitter just needs a hug and a nap. And uh, I think that that pretty well sums it up. We're talking about this over coddling, protective, soft, feminine side that just exists in broader culture. And, uh, you know, a little bit about it is, you know, kind of what I brought out in the intro about Yale University and the students that are crying that, you know, this doesn't feel like home. Well, is the college campus supposed to be the same thing as a home? I mean, you're meeting together with complete strangers. You're only there for a temporary amount of time. Everybody comes from a disparate background. Should it be expected that you'd have the same level of comfort that you would at home among your own people? And uh, that that's the question. So, yeah, I think it's... Oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead Jack. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I think it's interesting in, in your intro as as we talk about this subject and the way that society has become, because I think that's one major thing that you brought out is that, that there's been a transition of sorts. Things have not always been this way. Um, and I think a big part of that is especially living in our society today where we're so insular and where uh, it's difficult to remember what happened last week because of how quick the news cycle runs, how quick everything runs in society. Uh, We have a a huge danger of forgetting how things have been in the past, what society has been previously. And the frightening thing that you brought up about this concept of, you know, of the longhouse about a matriarchal kind of safety society um, is just the fact that so many people live in this world, they live and breathe this mindset, and they don't realize they've bought into it. Um, It is in a lot of ways, a mental contagion. Uh, Feminism in a lot of ways is is a mental contagion where by the time it's disseminated down to you, you don't realize that you've absorbed these ideas um, that it's become a part of you. And in fact, it can even build itself almost into your sense of morality that, well, this right. is just right. This is just the correct way for things to be. Um, and, and again, taking, uh, which I think we would ultimately all come down on as we go through this episode, talking about uh, what makes a woman, a woman, what, you know, what is uh, this mothering instinct that women have it's ultimately a blessing from God, but like so many other blessings from God, if it's outside of the sphere that it was intended to be in, yeah. then it wreaks havoc on the world as a whole. And so I'm very interested, and maybe as we go forward, we can talk a little bit more historically about what led to this change. Why mm-hmm. do we think differently now than we than our great grandparents did a hundred years ago? Why why are things so different and seemingly nobody wants to really address the change? Yeah, I remember as a kid, you know, 
I, I had a brother, I had two sisters, and, and brothers, you wrestle, you fight, you, you, you argue, and of course, there's that motherly instinct of, hey, no roughhousing, no, no, no injuring each other, none of that stuff, but boys need that stuff, and, and that's just part of stuff that comes into the world as adults, is and into the church, and into society, is you need some difficult things, you need some challenges like that, you need, uh, you know, outlets for certain things, and, and conquest and growth and achievement and, and all those de different things and when you put those on the shelf and say th those don't matter what matters is that everyone sits on the couch safely wrapped in bubble wrap their entire lives then you know well then nobody will ever get hurt wrestling like yeah but you're not going to get the benefits of that either you're not going to gain from what comes from that and uh, i think if you want to really kind of get the the best rundown on it outside of this podcast is maybe like a basic primer uh firstthings.com did a an article on the longhouse you can google that and he broke it down brilliantly but he talking to this very point he said the longhouse distrusts overt ambition it censors censures the drive to assert oneself on the world to strike out for conquest and expansion male competition and the hierarchies that drive it are unwelcome even constructive expressions of these instincts are deemed toxic, patriarchal, or even racist. Right. Again, no, these instincts, you're, you're just told, no, stop that, turn it off. You're not allowed to use that because somebody might get their feelings hurt, and so nothing happens. Right. And, you know, we've, we've already mentioned that feminism is directly connected to this. This was kind of the intention and the purpose of the feminist movement in all of the individual waves of feminism that have come down through the line. And... It's interesting because the the presupposition of the feminist movement of all of these um, these women that have uh, vied for you know a larger part in the public sphere, their presupposition has been that there is <clears throat> there's no substantial there's no substantive difference between men and women. We are essentially the same. We function the same. There's really no difference. And yet the interesting thing is. As they've come more and more into the public sphere, I was reading one statistic that said like 73% of human relations and upper management and well, human relations, 73% is female and like upper management's like 53%. And it's interesting the way that the dynamic in the work environment has changed in the way that conflict resolution and a number of these matters, how they've, they've begun to take on sort of these motherly um, feminine type traits and characteristics, even though there's supposedly no difference between the sexes. And yet as the, uh, the number has, has flipped and now there's a greater number of women in this, uh, the public sphere, we've seen a huge change in dynamic. So there's obvious we're, we're coming at this podcast under the biblical presupposition that God has made men and women and the distinctives between us is not limited. Um, pardon me for saying this, to our uh, our sexual differences and our you know the, the 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 anatomy that we hold, but that the differences run to the very core of men and women. Men and women operate differently, and God has created a world in which the public sphere, in a lot of ways, is going to operate under a um, a, a masculine type approach. I'm not going to call anybody out by name, but there is another podcast in the church that recently dealt with masculinity and was talking about this kind of thing and, and said that essentially these these gender constructs are are very social or it's it's cultural is mm -hmm. that we kind of came up with this and and you know it's not biblical it's not from god it's not you know yeah yeah there are male and females you've got the body parts that are different but as far as masculine expression testosterone feminine expression that's that's all just kind of culturally made up and when you get baptized as a christian that all just kind of starts to dissolve it goes away your grace gets rid of that that side of the the male side of you that wants to have conquest and and just right. This is the stuff you get to, and this is why this, you don't have male leadership in the church, why preaching is so weak, why the society has, has no direction, why all of and, and why everything creates a path for bad ideas because opposing mm -hmm. bad ideas is mean. And, and right. you know, again, it's, it's all of this motherly instinct stuff that has a good use that is turned against the fatherly instinct stuff that is also really important. Right. It's interesting that this push toward androgyny, you know, the blending of the two sexes has actually yielded uh, a favoring of of feminine traits and characteristics. So it what we're what we're seeing is 
nature is going to work itself out. If you try to subvert nature, it's going to work itself out. And you're just going to end up with these kind of really interesting caricatures. There's going to be, there's going to be a man who dresses up as a woman and who goes and destroys women's sports. And then there's going to be a woman who says there's no difference between her and a man. And yet she's going to be crying in the middle of a debate, whereas that would be completely and totally unacceptable for a man to do it. We all know there's differences to pretend that there's no difference is dishonest. It's it's not only dishonest with uh, reality, but it's dishonest with what the Bible presents. I think that it's, you know, as we as we think about this, uh, I think that, you know, uh, the traditional uh, disclaimer is three white men sitting in a room talking about this. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that we have to seed some ground in that uh, when people say, well, all of this, these distinctions, uh, masculine or whatever, are cultural, uh, we could admit that depending on where you live, depending on the time you live, the exact way that this is practiced out in your life is going to look differently. Um, you know, the, the way that people in different parts of the world have lived over history, obviously what the man does, the roles are going to vary. So there's a cultural component, you know, there is a cultural component that exists, but if you look at the general flow of this along history and culturally, you're going to find men filling that provider role, uh, that trailblazer role. And, you know, again, as you as you look at this and see, as we talked about, you know, the fact that there are differences between men and women, that these differences go beyond just, again, our genitals, they go beyond, you know, just our, 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 our body type and these type of things. Uh, you know, it again, just harkens back to the fact that when we look at the Bible, what does the Bible presuppose you're going to find male headship. And, and again, the Bible for, for every, you know, uh, browbeating feminist out there that says, well, the Bible degrades women. It doesn't. I mean, I think you won't find three people besides us that want to talk about the glory of women, the glory of what it is to be a woman. I forget if you guys had an episode in the first season on male, female gender and that sort of thing. And, and I think this episode is definitely going beyond just the fact that we're different, which we all agree on to when we look at, authority structures. Uh, what is God's intended design? Even beyond, as you were mentioning, the idea of the longhouse, the idea that all families kind of live under one roof. Uh, you know, the Bible has something to say about family structure. I've seen um, conservative, you know, Christian families that essentially turn into a, a patriarchy of one grandfather uh, becomes the patriarch for an entirety of the under families, you know, where again, you have uh, one man, if you will, that's over, you know, fathers that have their own children. And so again, this conversation, this is kind of a, a rabbit trail, but just to say, I think that we're just, we're interested in what is God's plan for individuals, you know, individual families, individual men leading, what's mm -hmm. his plan for societies for, you know, men leading on a larger scale, what's women's role in that. Uh, and again, the Bible has something to say, thus a man shall leave his father and mother and, and become one flesh with his wife. These are things that the Bible takes as bedrock foundational ideals. And right. as we start moving towards, well, this is all just kind of culturally generated, you know, our living style in this, uh, don't, Again, don't cast aspersions on the vast majority of human history where people thought this way, they lived this way, and they did it successfully. Right. And without, decide that we know better. We, yeah, without somebody telling them that it needs to be this way. It's just, mm -hmm. it's instinctually that way because there are differences that run to our core. One of the things that I want to bring out here at the start, we're going to talk in just a moment about some of the ways that this kind of um, the longhouse has manifested itself in society. But one of the maybe unintended Trojan horses that has crept into the church, and again, I, I think when this, the initial reaction to the feminist um, egalitarian type approach to even just within the church was um, John Piper and some of the others with, you know, complementarity. And, you know, they, they created the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and they they were they were trying to say there are distinctives, but rather than just calling it like it is that the Bible is overtly and expressly patriarchal, which is interesting, our critics of the Bible who don't like the Bible at all, they'll look at the Bible and say it's totally and plainly patriarchal. Right. But you had someone like John Piper and others who trying to combat some of these feminist issues said, no, there are differences, but um, rather than saying there's any hierarchy, 
of male headship, as you just alluded to, uh, all we are is just different. There's just different roles that we play. And what that did was it ended up bringing on where we are today where we say, well, if a woman fills the role that a man traditionally fills better than that man fills, then she should be the one doing it because it's a difference of role rather than a difference of created order. And so what what we're arguing for, I, I believe all of us, is that the biblical design that is in creation is uh, that of uh, patriarchy. And um, men are going to be leading the charge. We shouldn't have women going to war. I might have just got canceled for saying that. But I think that this is uh, uh, pretty obvious if we're being honest with the text. No, for sure. Uh, and, and you had mentioned getting to some of these examples. That That is one of them of just everything has become blended because we say the genders are exactly the same. So the military is blended and the police force is blended and the, the government is blended and more and more church leadership gets blended and the family leadership is blended. It wasn't supposed to be blended. And, and so it comes out in the more women encroach into these spaces that were male spaces, the mm -hmm. more feminized these things become. And you see the military, as, as you mentioned, lowering their fitness standards and and the the i mean the military was one of those like you got to toughen up son like this is right. this is the expectation of you well not anymore we're gonna soften <laughs> that because man you can't get in the face and uh, you know the, your drill sergeant just can't you know give the the beat down uh, verbally that they did to a young man to really get him in shape get him into where he needs to be well no we're not going to do it that way anymore and you see this in sports you know with the the coaching no, you've got to really coddle your players and, and, and get them to want to do uh, mm -hmm. Like, there's no none of that hard, you know, remember the Titans kind of hard-driving coaching thing. And so it comes out in that ways, but it comes out in really, really big ways, like right. COVID a few years ago. Of right. Safety is the name of the game. Going along, obeying, yes, ma'am, school marm kind of. And, and you think about how many people turned into hall monitor, school marm kind of uh, approach to society. We had people right. in our, our local neighborhood Facebook groups and next door and whatever the social network things were for local stuff who were getting on every time they went to the grocery store and reporting to everybody else how good oh, of a citizens or bad of citizens their fellow neighbors were, were being. I saw a guy going down the wrong way in this aisle. Like, <laughs> what is Somebody this? driving down the road with a, with a mask in his car by himself. Exactly. Uncle, Uncle Sam became Professor Umbridge in an instant. That's, a good, Potter, one. That, that's a good line. Clip it right there. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, the COVID, COVID is just, it's like the, the chief presentation of what we're talking about. Broader society is not supposed to be totally and always and completely safe. Yes. Should we exercise caution where we can? Sure. But if you go outside your home you're you're not operating by the rules of your home anymore. You can't expect every single person to come to your aid and do everything exactly as you do it in the home. This again, the reason why even why there's even that social idea and why public policy is bent toward it is because there's an increasing number of um, feminist ideals that have encroached into this space. I was reading one. Uh, author, he's, he's talking about the way that we're relating together as a society. He says, look, you can either, the public sphere is either going to take on, you know, masculine traits where if you come into the public sphere, you can expect to maybe be uh, bruised up a little bit emotionally. If you, you know, if your ideas are not good, they're going to be thrown down. They're going to be cast aside. And there's not going to be much uh, concern for the way you feel about it, or it's going to be feminine and that everybody operates, you know, kind of under this guise of, I don't want to hurt your feelings, and so I'm never going to say anything to rub you the wrong way. Or he says what we've done is we've kind of mixed those two, and what you have now is <clears throat> there's a double double standard societally in the way that we relate, where uh, women get a pass on certain things that men wouldn't get a pass on, and we're not being consistent. Again, nature's going to work itself out, but we're being inconsistent with it because, again, nature's going to work itself out. Yeah, I think, you know, as, as you guys talked about this and, and COVID and these things and, and really society as a whole, 
what it comes to for me as, as again, I, I will be the first one to say and admit openly when, when the COVID thing happened, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, again, this, that conversation spreads into the idea of what media shows us, you know, what we're being told, all these things. But I, at the start of it, was was very concerned. And I thought, sure, we need to take precautions to do this. But it, that situation taught me, along with, you know, cancel culture, along with all these changes that we're talking about in society, the changes of, you know, the double standards that we're seeing, it, it comes to a point where either you're going to recognize this and go, whoa, 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 something's happening. You know, something's going on here. There's a shift happening or you're going to have this idea bred into you. And I think again, to our, uh, to our shame, we've done it in the church to where, well, it's not very Christ-like to rock the boat. It's not very Christ-like to point out and say, hey, something just happened. You know, again, I've long said we should all have to have what we say on social media, uh, put back in front of our faces two weeks later and say, hey, do you remember when you said that two weeks ago? Do you think you should still, you should uh, recant that or you should put out a public statement saying, ooh, I was, I was wrong about that. Because again, it comes to the point with this. And and again, where I think we're coming from is a lot of people feel uncomfortable talking about this kind of stuff. Uh, And yet, as we've said, you know, as Jack was talking about the military earlier, you know, imagine the drill sergeant from the, the 19, you know, 40s, you know, talking to a female, you know, a, a female in the army today, having that kind of, you know, that push, that push on them in the training. And and naturally within us, you know, does not nature itself tell you that would feel totally wrong. There's mm-hmm. a power dynamic there where you go, this is not right. It's not good for this stronger man uh, to be, you know, screaming at this woman, you know, that, that that's just not the way that it's supposed to be. And again, we can all feel that. So again, the question comes, are we going to change the standard so that she can feel comfortable in that situation? Or do we go on this side and say, maybe she shouldn't be in that situation in the first place? Maybe that's not the place for her or her role. It's a great question because one of the other things about the instincts to male and female, as we talked about, is men male leadership is from the front. It's this is the right direction we need to go. And so we're going to go there. I'm going to lead you and you better keep up. That, that's up to you. Female leadership. There is female leadership. It's from behind. It's making sure nobody gets left behind. It's it's bandaging up the wounds. It's it's giving the there there kind of speech. It's you know caring for the ones that are falling behind. Well, if you don't have any male leadership, if you don't have anybody leading from the front, what happens is the people at the back of the pack call all the shots. And that's where you see this victim culture, right? And this cancel culture. If somebody hurt my feelings, I feel oppressed, I feel offended, and so I I'm going to make the most noise and the female leadership is going to say or, or, you know, the COVID thing, I feel unsafe. And the female matriarchal instinct is, well, we've got to, we've got to rearrange everything for that person. We've got to right. make sure they're comfortable. We've got to make sure that, that, you know, everybody else in the entire pack, you might have one person who, you know, feels unsafe because of some virus protocol thing. Everybody else has to do what they want to do. And that was the whole love your neighbor thing. Well, can't you just love your neighbor? And that means capitulate to everything they want you to do. No, right. That's not right. There, It's good that we have that instinct in society of somebody right. saying, look, we, we care about the people that are hurt or feel outcast or whatever else. But without the other instinct, it is a broken dynamic. You've got to have yeah. both of those sides of the coin. And, and we don't have the male leadership that says this is the right thing to do. So we're going to do it. And if people fall behind, that's their problem. You know, and that's that's for the female people, the leadership kind of thing to care about those people, but not let them lead, not let them drive the train. Right. You bring you bring out a good point. You know, when we're talking about these, um, the way that society is now kind of manifesting itself toward the direction of one gender over the other. um, It's interesting because. Titus, you said that, you know, the instinct is to say, well, you know, that's that's mean for you to say this this way or whatever. That's mean. And that shouldn't be that way. And, you know, men. If you've ever roomed, like we've all probably had roommates with men in the past, it's just a completely different dynamic. Whether it's a brother or a roommate or whatever, you can say something to the other guy that you would never say in a million years to a woman. And then 10 minutes later, you're both going to grab an ice cream or go get food together. And you just kind of move on. That's the way that we relate. I mean, a lot of times I'll say something to another guy and my wife will say, Danny, you shouldn't have said that. I'm like, well, I don't relate to him the same way that I relate to you, right? And that 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 instinct is going to be there because God gave it to her to want that. And it's going to be needed in the nourishment and the development of the children. 
And it's going to be needed for me sometimes to come home to this nice place where, uh, you know, the uh, you can kind of uh, take off your shoes and and be at peace. But in the public sphere, we're going to relate this way. And to pretend that that women in the public sphere are not going to create any kind of conflict is is a wrong conclusion. There will be and there's still going to be conflict. It's just going to be different. It's not going to be abrasive, but what you are going to get out of it is the kinds of things that, like, if you look at little high school girls' cliques, you know, cancel culture, I mean, it's right there. Like this, what we're seeing with cancel culture and some of the ways that we pressure people to conform and that we ostracize and push somebody out, this is a a generally historically feminine way of dealing with conflict. If I've got a problem with a man, I'm just going to go straight to him and call him out on something. Women are going to talk about it behind the scenes. They're going to say, I don't want anything to do with that person anymore. And the conflict is still going to be there. It's just going to be different. And so we're seeing how it's it's bearing itself out um, societally. I thought that in in Lomez, uh, the article that he wrote about the longhouse, uh, it, it's really interesting that towards the bottom of the article, he's talking about kind of this, um, you know, the stereotype person or this archetype person who's kind of perpetuating this mindset. And, and I think it's interesting that he goes, this person can as often be male as female, because what, what you have here is again, as we would all state, these ideals, these, these um, personalities, these traits are very obviously tied to the, the sexes, right. To male mm-hmm. and female. But that's not to say again, to say, wow, women, you guys have, you've come in, you've taken charge. You've just ruined this. You have men that see this mindset, uh, leadership that sees this mindset and runs in and wants to seize it and say, yes, we're going to do that. And in fact, a lot of times it can be for very insidious reasons, because once you create a society in this image, uh, it becomes a lot easier for those at the top, uh, those sitting on top of the ladder, be they male or female, uh, to exercise lots and lots of control over individuals, uh, as you see. And so, again, if we were even going to look at the transgender movement, uh, mm-hmm. it should be a scary thing for the feminist, the person that says the mind of the woman, the intellect of the woman is being uh, trodden down. You know, we have to be raised up to all of a sudden have a biological male who comes in and says, I'm a woman. (laughs) You know, I, my story is important. My mindset's important. And you have this again, Frankenstein patchwork of an ideal that puts, you know, biological men in dresses at the top and says, Hey, we can help run this society too. And it just becomes such a farce um uh, of ideology you know what are we really standing for and if at the end of the day it's i get to do what i want when i want to and nobody can tell me otherwise then you know it's borne out for the truth of what it is right and and there is you're right to say that there are a number of men that are sharing the same idea they've kind of taken on this this same spirit and this rhetoric and this mindset but a lot of a lot of the time i think for a man to fully embrace this, he has to go out into the public sphere somewhat dishonestly. He's going against his nature to act like this is totally okay. And I think a lot of times you have men that will do it because they're very afraid of what's going to happen to them from the pressures that are there. For example, if you have a man that's going to stand up and say what he wants to, if, if he knows that the entire HR department is run from a certain standpoint or from a certain frame of mind, he knows I could lose my job. I could, I could, like for example, this um, the uh, the Christakis's at Yale University, uh, they didn't really do anything wrong. Like you, you look at that the actual uh, breakdown of what happened with the whole you know Halloween costume debacle. They didn't really do anything wrong, but because of the pressures that were against them constantly, so as, as they went out, students wouldn't shake their hands. Students were constantly posting um, signs, you know, um, hate notes and different kinds of threats on their door. They were constantly uh, appealing for them to be fired uh, from their positions. And after a few months of this, they're like, okay, fine, we're, we're, we're stepping away from this. And what that does to the rest of the campus and to any other administrator, anybody that wants to push back against some kind of rhetoric, they know if I do, what that means is I'm going to lose my job. So you do, I do think you see some men that will that will take on some of these ideas, but it's only out of fear or it's because they're they're being a white knight and they're trying to go and, and pretend to, uh, you know, have the uh, the best interest of 
of, uh, you know, the women in their lives when really in their heart of hearts, they know something about this isn't right. It's just, there's fear that is keeping them from speaking about it. And I think that's in the church too. Yeah. I I was going to throw in quickly, you know, the picture (laughs) of this that I have in my mind and I'm, I'm sorry if it's controversial, but I'm just going to say it. You know, when President Biden was filmed sitting across from Dylan Mulvaney, this biological man who's dressed in a dress and has makeup on and stuff, and and uh, he's telling President Biden, you know, this is my struggle, this is my life, and and Joe Biden's sitting there going, oh, God bless you, God bless you. Joe Biden's 80 years old. He's lived the majority of his life in a society that would have viewed this type of behavior, this type of mindset as uh, mentally ill, repugnant, uh, you know, depraved. And so you have a person who, you know, and his 80 year old heart of hearts uh, is not sitting here going, this is just the greatest thing since sliced bread. Hmm. And yet because of everything sit sat before us in society where he sits uh, along with a multitude of other issues, he's having to bow down to this ideology. Again, the feminization, <laughs> the, a feminization of a, of a man, and just sit here and say, this is, you know, this is great. Oh, what a joyous thing. And again, it's exactly like you said, it's because if you're in that seat, if you're in the spotlight, you have to say that or or be cannibalized by the society around you. That is a yeah. fantastic point. And it, it really comes to, we talked about the Gnosticism thing and we don't really, in our, our first season about that, we don't really care about the physical, but this stuff matters because... You look at the stuff about men and low testosterone scores these days and that like men aren't really men chemically from the inside. And right. one of the things that is correlated with your your masculinity being intact is disagreeableness scores. Men right. have higher disagreeable scores than women because they're able to say, no, this is wrong. I don't care if you're going to yell at me. This is wrong. But mm-hmm. when we have men that can't do that, what happens is, like you say, they'll sit across from a trans woman, a, 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 just a total joke going on in front of him and say yes this is true i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cause any waves i'm not gonna make a problem with this i'm gonna go along with this and you see how many preachers how many elders how many christians do that when their their daughter comes home from college and says mom dad you're white oppressive patriarchalist you know people i'm turning i'm dying my hair blue and i'm a feminist now and you know your church is hateful towards the lgbt people and the parents go well maybe we got to rethink some things Maybe maybe we've been wrong about some stuff. And you think how many times, I've seen this plenty of times, of people who start changing their doctrine because their kids got something in their head about how, how way too strict and conservative the church is. And so the parents go along with it because the dad doesn't have the guts to say, no, we're not doing this. This is wrong. You can get mad at me and scream and shout. I'm pulling your tuition. We're not sending you back there. No, it's it's all appeasement, and that that's what results in in this weakness of men is capitulating right. to the women. And so, it, as you know, Titus said, it's not just women doing this. We're not here to just bash the women because there are men who lead this way. But the other thing is, this would not have happened if men had not laid down their responsibility. If right. if there were not men, if if we had men at the head of every Christian home who would just say, "No, honey, we're not doing that." We're not believing this. This is what God says, and that's how it's going to be. If we had men in the society, if we had men in the church who would just say, no, you can leave, you can get mad, you can throw a temper tantrum, no. Right. But the temper tantrum works, and so everybody capitulates to keep everybody happy. If mama's not happy, not, uh, you know, then nobody's happy. And, and we live <laughs> this way in our in our right. homes. We live this way, and this is what results is COVID safetyism, is safe spaces, is cancel culture. It's It's everything that we're seeing. Right. I mean, you talk, you talk about you've you've heard the term the idolatry of the family. And, you know, it's exactly what you're talking about, Jack, where uh, somebody, you know, your your children or some family member adopt some idea or some lifestyle that's that was against what you previously held to be true. But now all of a sudden, OK, I better bring this in. A lot of times um, you're right. This is a failure leadership. And but again, there is going to be if we're going to if we're going to rise up to the call that God has for us, there is going to be some measure of pushback. There's going to be a measure of a fight that has to take place. You look, for example, I mean, think about the cost and is it worth it? Well, I would say that it is, but it may be a great cost. Look at the father up in Canada whose kid was, you know, uh, basically said, I, I can't remember if it was a boy that was said he was a girl or a girl that said, uh, you know, that she was a boy. Maybe I think it was a girl, right? The daughter that said she was transgender, 
And the father's fighting against this. And he said, no, I'm not going to allow you to have this surgery. This isn't happening. Well, he ended up going to jail for this. And it's like, in the end, did he get his way? No, they put her on hormone therapy and that happened. But he said, but I at least have a conscience and I can say to my daughter, I fought for you. When you were in this state of this delusion, I fought for you. I might've gone to jail and there's a great cost that had to be paid. But look, we can't, again, we can't let the culture of safety, safetyism and the fear of some kind of uh, pushback keep us from rising up to the duty that God has called us to. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I think, again, it it we we have a lot as we think about all of these things. What Jack, he was noting earlier about this idea that, you know, if male headship had been what it was supposed to be in the past, some of these problems would have taken care of themselves. And I, I think, again, that opens itself up into when you look at God's plan for the family, you know, a man, a woman, the children, the hierarchy of that, then you suddenly see just how crushing the removal of a father is when the father isn't the head in this family, when the dad leaves, when the mom leaves and takes the children away. Again, there's lots of complex com uh, situations where that happens. And I'm not here to, you know, cast, you know, uh, damnation on everybody who finds themselves in that situation, but it just goes to show you how degrading to, whether it be a young boy or a young girl, not having that example in the home um, is just terrible. And so again, you know, when we look at this, it, it becomes a big thing in my life as, as a man. And as we have this conversation, because because what I've noted in my generation, and you guys may relate or you may not, our generation has become very good at creating grown boys, um, <laughs> grown up boys that okay. even get married and have families that aren't men. And th this is something I, I'm going to be just kind of open with here. I struggle with this. I, I grew up, I was not athletic. Uh, I was not an outdoors kind of guy. I was very insular. I spent a lot of time inside, spent a lot of time playing video games. And I, I look back on that and I go, man, I wish in some ways I had been pushed to, to better myself because again, not everyone, you know, the, we are different, even among men, you're going to have differences. Not everyone's going to be a carpenter uh, not everyone's going to be able to do certain things. And yet, you know, now as I have sons and my oldest son, Silas comes to me and says, dad, when are we going to go fishing? Dad, when are we going to do this? Things that I, I don't know how to do necessarily. And yet I'm within myself feeling the push of, this is who I need to be. And so for some of us, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm throwing myself here uh, un, under this, you know, this idea that for some of us that are men <laughs> that are grown men, we kind of have to learn how to be men. And to me and my mind, as I look at my life, I think, man, I need to push. I need to be that leader. I need to be a leader for my sons. I need to be a leader for my wife. I, I look at it and go, that's going to help me be a more effective leader in the church. For those that would say, well, the spiritual is the most important, the church is the most important, that will come, and I'm helping it by being a leader in my home, number one. And number two, you know, again, as I think about doing that, it's just going to have to begin owning up and saying, hey, I'm not always what I need to be, but if I want to fight back against this, because again, maybe that's the question where we go to next, you know, this is happening in society, it's a major problem, you know, the, 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 the hinges are flying off, what do we do about it? You know, it, it starts practically with me, you know, as a man, with me as a woman, you know, am I to the best of my ability fulfilling my place in God's setup, you know, and, and just to be honest, again, when I look at myself, I go, I've got work to do. You know, I've got work to do in being that man for my sons, for my wife uh, and for my community. You know, that's something that I have to look in the mirror and decide for myself. That's one of the but, reason why I'm so high on C.S. Lewis's That Hideous Strength. I, I've said a number of times, it's the book of the decade. If you want to understand the 2020s, you need to read it. Uh, I, Titus, you've read it, I believe, right? Daniel, yes. have you read it? It's the end of, of a trilogy. You don't have to read the trilogy. It helps, but it's this brilliant book that has uh, man going too far with technology and science and, and the demonic and... Uh, it's got you know fake journalism and fake riots and and social unrest and all all of the things that we're seeing right now. But what's funny is when you really drill down into the book where it starts and where it ends. This is a minor spoiler, but not much of one. The key to the whole thing 
is a woman being a woman and a man being a man. And the woman right. who, you know, starts off this is kind of the main character is this feminist, doesn't respect her husband. He doesn't really respect her. He doesn't like her. He's trying to do his own thing with kind of his emasculated ambition and she just, you know, kind of thinks he's a weasel and, you know, she's doing her own thing and and he he's kind of holding her back and and you know, she doesn't want to deal with those traditional roles and things like that. And as they come to the end of it, they they both just start to realize I'm not being what I'm supposed to be. And and when you look, again, the, the book covers the scale of all of the things we're seeing socially. Everything that's happened in the news the last three years, it's in that book. And the answer to all of it, when, when we look at this and go, man, how do we fix society? We need Christian men to be Christian men, as you guys have been talking about. We need Christian women to be Christian women. Stop. Right. And, and this is going to be a real challenge, both to the men, as, as Titus just laid out beautifully, of... All of us have stuff we have to look at and go, man, I got to step up. I've got to own this. I've got to take responsibility for it. And then the women have this side of it of you have that matriarchal instinct. You have that instinct to take over the family and run it the way that you see fit from your what, what works inside your feminine brain, which is a beautiful, wonderful thing. But there's also places where it doesn't apply, where right. you have to make room for your husband's masculine leadership, where you have to realize... I wasn't allowed to run this for a reason. God didn't put me over these certain things. And the, we've downplayed that for so long, as mm-hmm. we started off talking about, of pretending that the roles are the same, pretending that we're really not that different other than one or two minor things. No, these things are deeply rooted in us. And the best way that you can combat what's wrong with the church, what's wrong with society, what's wrong with the home, is figure out what you're supposed to be and then go do that. Because... That's the only way out of that. If we can't get that, because it's the baseline for everything. If the home right. is not in the right place, nothing else is going to work either. Now, I, pr- I appreciate the balance that you're bringing there, that Titus, that you brought out personally. I, I think along with what Jack just said, we all are are in that to a degree of, you know, I have to every day look in the mirror and say, in what ways am I failing as a man? And I'm aware of about 10,000 of them. And we are being called. We're not just looking out at society and saying, hey, society, hey, everybody else be better. It does begin with me and it begins uh, in my home first. But as as Jack just mentioned, when you have men being men, women being women, there's an amazing harmony. And that's the only the only way truly for society to flourish the way that it's supposed to. I heard a story a number of years ago about the initial settlers um, out in, you know, the colony area. And when they were initially sending over uh, just men to colonize and to set up the colonies, and I, I do not remember where I heard the story, but the men were basically dying. They were getting diseases. They were not taking care of themselves. There, there really was no home. That maternal instinct was completely absent. And so you know, being taken care of and being nourished and being, you know, being cleanly and all of this that would typically be associated with uh, uh, women was just absent. And so society wasn't flourishing and you needed women to come along for the men and women to have this place where the men could go home and could be nourished, could be fed, could get good sleep, could take care of the problems that were there. And the women were helping with this and it makes society work. But to pretend that there isn't a domain where these different qualities and strengths are uh, are better fit is is again to be dishonest. And so uh, what what we're what we're saying is we need to get back to the natural order that God has established. And it's interesting. Uh, I'm I'm not going to go so far as to say that um, that there's no um, place in the public sphere. Uh, for women, because I think there is. Um, obviously, you look at our hospital system, and you look at, you know, things like um, healthcare, and just this is this is kind of a maternal thing, and it's really good. I'm thankful for it. It does exist, and it needs to be out there. It needs to be affecting policy to a degree. But at the same time, when we've gotten rid of the baseline differences between men and women, what we've ended up with is women that are completely disconnected from the home and they are totally out in society. And so kids are being raised and trained and educated by anybody but their parents. And they're not getting that nourishment that they need from their mother who God gave them as the main, uh, uh, the main nurturer. So this is going to require a lot. Um, 
and is going to be very challenging. Yeah. The, the idea, again, that you go back to it in that talk about the, again, whether it be in the early days of America or in society as a whole, you know, we, we're not talking about the eradication as much as feminism ultimately becomes the eradication of masculinity. We're not coming from the place of, well, we want to eradicate any kind of maternal aspect of life because as you said, that's needed. And I was just thinking about it from a theological standpoint, all every good thing in human interactions is a reflection of the nature of God. Um, and, and again, not, not going in that weird place of, you know, God's a woman, uh, God's a mother. But, but what I want to say is think about Jesus as Jesus rounds the corner and sees the sweeping view of Jerusalem and weeps and says, Jerusalem, that picture that I put in creation of the hen gathering her chicks under her wing, that's what I want to do to you. That's how I want to interact with you. And again, I'm not calling Jesus a mother, but I'm saying that care and that love exists within the nature of God, the desire to nurture, the desire to care for and accept. Mm -hmm. And that happens within God. And yet it does not override Jesus coming in on his white horse and destroying the city of Jerusalem, you know, that when, when that's what is called for the point. love and the desire of the mother hen does not override the sword of the King Jesus. And so again, we have to hold these things in balance and we have to look at it and go, you know, where is this place? Not eradication, not not destruction of properties, but right reordering. It's the same thing that the church does so badly when we try to eradicate sexuality. When we say sexuality is evil, let's get rid of it. When we do that, we cause major problems and major mental problems uh, in, in generations. I think our generation experienced a little bit of that, where sex just becomes a byword uh, until your wedding night, and then you go, you know, here you go, you know, now jump right. in. Um, it's about reordering these things. It's mm -hmm. about, again, that's what this podcast is all about. Doctrine has dominion over all of life. Mm -hmm. So how does what I believe about Jesus touch everything about society, about my home life, about my relationship with my wife, about my relationship with my kids? Once we have that in the right order, however imperfectly we're going to do it, our life is just going to sing, right? That, that's that's when it really comes together and you'll find that true happiness. It's interesting you bring Jesus into it because of our our cultural, the culture we're raised in, the culture that, that we are saturated in drives so much of our understanding. And look at how many times people apply these ideas, these matriarchal tendencies to Jesus. And as you're saying, there is some of that instinct to him there that he cares for the downtrodden and the oppressed and all that there's judgment there's expectation there's there's masculine achievement and conquest and all that is is the whole thing and so that's why it's so important to study him as he is rather than putting our our cultural ideas on to him forcing mm -hmm. him to you know be the the soft man that the matriarchal society would have him be and we have to be very careful of those biases and so you're exactly right he he has that full picture Whatever, because we can also go too hard to the other side and say, oh man, Jesus was a man's man who laid down the law and, you know, just, he was, but he was uh, all of these things. And, and so you mm -hmm. got to let him be him. And when you do, everything flows from that of, okay, he's the perfect example of our humanity and what we're supposed to be and, and his commands tell us what we're supposed to be. And, you know, as Daniel was getting at, there, there are motherly matriarchal or the feminine roles, I guess is the word I'm looking for in society, in the home and, and across the board. But we need to draw these lines and, and apply them properly, make men be men, women be women, as we've said, in the church, in the home. I mean, there there's a wonderful place for women in the church because all we do is essentially Sundays and because that, that like everything that we do as the church, our evangelism, our worship, our study, our, our teaching, our discipleship, our, everything happens on Sunday mornings and there's not mm -hmm. a lot for women to do other than maybe teach the kids classes and make the meals for potluck. We say... And, and that's where the egalitarians say, well, women are just not allowed to do anything in your church. Mm -hmm. If we no, I, build out a full church life where older women mm -hmm. are really brought in and taught to, to teach the younger, and, uh, you know, as, as Titus 2 talks about, where they are, that support system, where they are, you know, the, the stuff that Paul talks about with widows and really bringing them into the family, there's mm -hmm. a lot there, and we need to make use of that, but we also don't need to be beholden to them where they are really the, the quiet cabal leadership of the church that so often happens is the gossip column of the women. If we get these things right, so much falls into place.
No, I well, just, the, I just the, want to, I'm, I'm sorry, Daniel, I'm going to let you talk. Remember what you're going to say, but I just really briefly want to honor my mother-in-law um, at center Grove where I attend. She for years now has put on a sewing group and this is a group that meets on Tuesdays at our church building. And it is a group that bridges. You have women, you know, mother age, women, women in middle age, you have young girls that are brought that learn to sew and you have the elderly women of the congregation. And I hear again, they call it a sewing group. I call it a ministry about these women, you know, the imagine five-year-old girls and elderly women sitting together at the same table and working on sewing things together. They've sewn quilts for local, uh, you know, orphans home charities. They've sewn things to, to give the hospitals and to give to the nursing homes. And what I hear, the stories that I hear about the camaraderie that exists between the women across the whole spectrum about the way they're able to open up to each other. When you have elderly women coming in that say, I don't, you know, my husband's sick, he's going to die shortly and I'm just a wreck. And they're able to, within themselves, care for one another and teach one mm-hmm. another. And and I just want to honor her in saying, don't sell yourself on the idea that women's only role is Bible class teachers and, and mothers in the home. Those are great roles, but there's so much more that that women can do that only women can do really that serve such a role in the church. And, and, yeah. and when I think about what, what they're doing there in our, our congregation, I'm thinking about the training that's happening for the mothers of tomorrow, you know, and, and the ministering to the widows of today and, and the mothers of today. And it's just, again, it, it, shows again that when the world wants to paint this picture that if you have your way, if the Bible has its way, women are going to be miserable. There's going to be no room for them to have any part. It's just a a lie. It's a lie Mm -hmm. because there's so much that can be done. No, that's, I mean, you ended off exactly the point that I wanted to get to is that this is going to take believing what the word of God says about how God made you and where you find your fulfillment and how, how, it's going to demand and it's going to take not believing the lie because th- I think the lie is that the only important positions are sort as the front runners and the guys that are out there um, leading the charge and bringing the conquest and, you know, being the, the mouthpiece, being the guys in the center. And the lie is, and this is, this is the lie that goes all the way back to the beginning of time is that God is just trying to keep you from something where you would really find your purpose Paul makes the point in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, or 1 Corinthians 12 that within the body of Christ, there are a number of members and not all of them are the same. They're all different. And he says, the fact is the, uh, the parts of our body that we honor the most and that we bestow on the greater honor are the ones that are not seen. They're the ones that are hidden. Think about your vital organs and those parts of the body that are not out in the front and center. They're not, you know, it's not the fist that's going to be given the punch or the, you know, the foot that's going to be doing the kick, but it's the heart that's beating. And I think about, you know, here in the congregation, some of the lifeblood and the heart of this church are these these women who have these prayer groups, they pull aside every week, they go back before services and they have this prayer group where they're praying for our children and they're praying for their children. And there's this beautiful spirit and the joy that they bring, they've got card ministries. They are writing encouragement. One of my biggest encouragements, and I'll tell her one of the reasons why I press on as a preacher is because of her is a lady in our church who just sends me these amazing encouragements that Honestly, if some of the words that she uses had been said to me by a guy, I w- it would be a little strange. I probably wouldn't receive it very well. But again, the Lord is using her and she's a vital part of the body. But we have to believe that our greatest purpose and function is in submission to the part that God has given us, whatever that may be. Again, um, I-, I could go down that uh, for a long time and I-, I appreciate that you guys got us on that Roll, I don't know how much time we have left. One of the things that I do want to uh, bring out here toward the end of the episode is that uh, we have to combat the idea that ambition and conquest, you know, are inherently bad. And I I believe that the Christian message really is one of conquest. Now, the manner in which it comes about is going to be different than how we've historically done so. But Jesus, as he was leaving the earth, he said... All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and disciple all of the nations, 
making them disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And the idea of of Jesus there is you need to go out and this kingdom needs to go everywhere. There needs to be sort of this masculine idea of the kingdom of God is going to take over. And I think because of the, um, the feminine tendency to avoid conflict, we've said to society, we've said to broader society, we've said to public institutions, We've said to anything from a social front, okay, that's not our dom- domain. You guys have it. Do with it what you want. And we've just left the, we've just abandoned the battle and w- and we've constantly been in retreat. So we've taken, I, th- I mean, I think this is a big part of what this show has hit on is the way that the kingdom finds its expansion, which I, I believe is speaking to some of these issues that people will whisper about in, in you know, back rooms but that they won't say out in public that they won't shout from the rooftops but we have to we have to understand that the christian kingdom the reign of jesus christ is intended to go everywhere and the only way that's going to happen is if we have sort of this idea of conquest now again i i want to just say very plainly Conquest is not through physical sword. It's not, through, you know, our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Um, but Paul does say we do bring down strongholds and we destroy any lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of Christ. How do you do that? You have to be vocal. You have to be public. You have to be as uh, is, you know, Jordan Peterson always talks about one of the main traits of uh, men and Jack brought it out earlier is being disagreeable. There has to be a measure of this. And we cannot let the the maternal instinct, which is good in its environment, to squelch that or keep that from being um, a part of the work that we do. Yeah, amen. And I, I was just going to say, you know, as we get to the end here, um, there are people that are going to look at some of the things we've said here and, and decry toxic ma- masculinity. Um, you know, we I think we could all sit here and look at various people out in the manosphere of, of social media that we could say, yeah, that's that's bordering on too far. That's a that's a carnal kind of masculinity. It's a it's a lustful kind of masculinity. But what when we talk about conquest, when we talk about these things. It's all with the understanding that my masculinity, my role as a man it is not to further my own glory. It's all to right. further the glory of Jesus Christ. When I when I think of what I want for my life, I want to create a home where my family can feel safe, where they can be provided for, where I can lead them. And, and in that way, you know, we're all building a tiny throne, if you will, in our spot. But at that point, when we have that throne built, there's only one person who's going to sit on it. It's Jesus Christ. He's the King. He's the Lord. But it's yet under him that the father bends the knee and then in line, the mother, the children. And so again, all of this idea of conquest of the expanding of the kingdom before anybody fears, well, this is all about putting men at the top and and making them the leaders only to the extent that we give God and Jesus the ultimate glory. And we do that in the way that they've taught us to, in the way that scripture lays out. And so whether or not we like the hierarchy, whether or not we like the system, um, if it's what God has said, if it's what God has put into place, honoring him is our greatest desire. That's our greatest need. That's the you know end of all these things that we're doing. And so again, um, don't disdain masculinity. Uh, and, and as a man, look to how can I glorify God by being who he wants me to be. Absolutely. I'm going to finish here by putting a challenge to, to the listener. If you're a woman, if you're a man, that'll take a little bit different form. How have you been affected by this? How do you live your life in accordance with the longhouse, the matriarchy? Uh, If you're a woman, are there ways where you kind of lean on your husband or lean on your church leadership with these expectations that they kind of capitulate and demand to your your safetyism, your your comfort level, whatever it may be? Or do you have that submissive spirit that the Bible tells you to have? Uh, For men... Do you do the thing where you just avoid difficult conversations with with your wife and your church and your workplace just in general? Because, man, they're not going to like it. I'm going to deal with backlash. I'm going to be in the doghouse or whatever it is. That's not okay. That's not how it should be. Uh, there are so many ways in which this, this comes out. And, again, the only way to push back is for every single home, as many homes as is possible, to start saying, yeah, we're not doing it that way. That's, that's not biblical. That's not right. We're going to do this God's way. Because the big question that nobody asks in all of this is, what does God want from me? What does God want from me as a husband? What does God want me free, from me as a woman? 
What the woman asks is, what do I want? How would I do this? What the man asks is, what would keep my wife happy? That's not the design. So mm-hmm. ask yourself, look at, take stock of your life and say, are there ways in which I've just kind of let myself be locked into the long house and, and live according to these ways? And if so, make that change. You, again, it's what these guys just said. It's faith that God's design is going to work out to our best, to the church's best, to society's best. It's what we've got to do. And so we're going to leave it right there. Uh, as always, like us on Facebook. Uh, we appreciate everybody that, sh- that shared the images. Uh, or we're posting some reels or shorts or whatever clips they call them uh, now you can share those if you'd like uh that just helps get the word out about our show we really appreciate that uh we're gonna be back next week with another episode i don't think i've uh, announced it yet what it's gonna be so we'll talk about that once we get off titus do you have one more thing yeah one quick recommendation definitely read that hideous strength and if you're only gonna read one other c.s lewis book just go ahead and read the rest of them just all the rest anything that he ever wrote <laughs> yeah, there you go, hey, there and, you I, go. I, and I, I got one last point just to dovetail on the last thing that jack said about uh, you know, how this is going to find its place. It begins in the home. In Matthew 5, when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, notice he said, you know, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, and nobody takes a lamp and puts it under a basket in their house. Jesus was talking about the way that this works it out works out into society. It starts in the home, moves to the city, then it moves to the world. So again, I, I want to leave that same challenge Uh, bring this kind of leadership, bring these kinds of changes at the house, work it out to your neighbors, and then the world will follow. Absolutely. We'll leave it right there. Again, uh, check us out on Facebook, and we'll talk to you guys next week.